Hello and a very warm welcome back to Real Estate 2020 Vision, the podcast that brings you the people and the products shaping the future of residential real estate. My name is Guy Westlake and I'm founder of Lavanda, the world's leading flexible rental software globally for multifamily, student accommodation and service department assets. If you're interested in finding out more about what we do, then please just visit www.getlavanda.com. So, season two, episode five. So far this series, we've been looking at real estate through the lens of operational businesses. Today, however, I'd like to better understand the role and lens of the capital markets. And with that in mind, I'm thrilled to welcome onto the show Paddy Allen, who's Head of Operational Capital Markets at Colliers, one of the major global investment managers and consultancies. Thanks so much for having me on. Paddy, I'm desperately worried I'm not going to do you any justice here. So please, maybe it's best if you just introduce yourself and and just tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, I'm Paddy Allen. I am Head of Operational Capital Markets for Colliers, which is a very technical way to sort of say I deal with anything with a bed from residential, built to rent, student accommodation, co-living, healthcare, senior living and hotels, essentially. So working with kind of operational businesses that you know need real estate essentially to function. And Paddy, when you say you're working with operational businesses, just to be really clear to all of our listeners, what are the types of products and services you're providing them with? I've positioned the business here is to provide a kind of 360 service to, to clients. A lot of it's focused around capital, so finding funding for deals and platforms, so whether that's equity or debt, but also you know, helping clients on asset management advice, business planning, you know, how they want to grow their business or you know, grow into other areas. Providing them with data and insight, you know, data and insight is is super important. And we're kind of building our business around that and the knowledge that we have from that, being able to make good decisions through data. So it's a a huge part of our business and our kind of offering to clients as well. And out of interest, give us some examples of data types and sources that you're aggregating and exposing for your clients. Yeah, it's a real mix. You know, I think using good external data sources, open data that's out there. There's a whole wealth of open data out there that I don't think we, we know quite what to do with. I mean, I read an interesting quote the other day that said, data's the new oil. And the, the person who'd written the article disagreed and said, actually, it's the new plastic. There's loads of it out there and we don't know what the hell to do with it. And I sort of bought into that, you know, because data is not very useful unless you kind of know what you're going to do with it. And so you can get quite lost in it. There's a lot of it out there, but it's what are you actually trying to solve for? So that's kind of where we come in to provide that kind of analysis. And some of it is quantitative. You know, it is it's just number hard numbers, but a lot of it actually is qualitative as well. We've taken things, you know, a step forward where a lot of people want to look at demographic analysis. We'll look at demographics, but we'll also look at psychographics, you know, because actually understanding how people make decisions and how they've, what they value in processes is just as important, if not more important than understanding the kind of quantum of how many people there are, especially if we're trying to sell a product to people, you know, we want to understand, well, what is the decision-making process for them to, to want to buy that product and, and other people to buy that product? And that, that comes down to the psychographic analysis rather than the kind of demographic analysis. So it sounds like you offer a really deep, holistic market research service. And it's actually super encouraging to know that companies are seeking that level of understanding before jumping into the sector. But stop right there, because I'd like to step back now and start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about how you got into real estate in the first place and the career path that you've followed to get to where you are today at Colliers. I guess my, my career, the slight anomaly, I think, my career is not very linear. I didn't know anyone in property, didn't really you know, have any contacts or anything like that. I was at school and sort of said to my geography teacher, I don't know what I want to do. I don't really want to put my head in a book. You know, I like business. I don't want to be an accountant. He said, you know, try, try real estate. 
And so I, I did, I sort of, you know, managed to get into the University of Reading and, you know, loved the fact that you could study law, architecture, economics, you know, planning, all of these different things and kind of, you know, be a real kind of jack of all trades about what goes on in the world. And very fortunately, I ended up getting a job in London. I worked for an agency for about, <laughs> and this is where I start being myself. I, I worked for an agency for about 16 months and then left halfway through my my APC because I was bored. And, you know, they're like, you can't leave halfway through your training. And I was like, no, I just want to, you know, I just didn't want to be another number. So, yeah, I went and joined a really, a really exciting business at the time, which was called Halverton, which is today run by the guys who run M7. So Richard Croft and, and the team there. And, you know, I was 20, 21, 22 when I joined those guys. And it was a fascinating kind of learning curve for me, you know, pre-GFC, going around Europe, basically buying logistics sheds, offices, shopping centers, all of those kind of things. And uh, very fortunate to stay there for, for five or six years. The business went through slightly different iterations, but I got to spend two years living in Amsterdam. I got to spend a year living in Germany, you know, which really opened my eyes to real estate as a global business rather than just a kind of local, local business. Fascinating that you started out on the industrial and retail side. At what point did you make the switch into the resi sector then? It was coming out of the back of the GFC. I was, I was selling a lot of office buildings to residential developers in the Netherlands in 2012. And I, I came back to the UK and I thought, you know what, I think there's something in resi. It just felt, felt like a kind of a market which had so much room to grow. And I did what every sane, rational person does. I wrote a business plan one evening and then resigned the next day. <laughs> to go and start a, a residential consultancy, which was the kind of the, the pivotal moment for me. Uh, it was completely naive and ridiculous. But I'm one of those people that I just thought I needed needed something to, to kind of get my backside off the you know off the chair and go and do it. And so I started a resi consultancy, basically trying to be Phil Spencer and Kirsty Allsop, buying residential buildings for a private clients. But realised very quickly I knew nothing about private clients or residential. So I actually ended up pivoting that business to work for funds and institutional investors to build residential strategies. And that got me to, to meet a chap called Nick Porter, who was the you know, ex-founder of Unite and Urban Nest and you know, wanted to go global and with a student accommodation platform. And I was very fortunate to be you know, one of the early employees for, for global student accommodation. And we basically had nothing under management at the time. You know, we sat in a little office in, uh, just off Bond Street. And you know, over the course of four years, built a multi-billion dollar platform across eight different countries, which you know, I'm incredibly, incredibly proud of being part of that. And I also started a, a company with two other guys, which was called uh, Acasa, where long story short, but we, you know, we raised some venture capital money for that and ended up selling that business last year. But that got me into the world of understanding data and customer. Wow. I mean, something of a whirlwind career, Paddy. I mean, you fitted a lot into your tender years. <laughs> the formative years of GSA and building a company of that scale must have been quite a journey to be part of. What was that like? It was brilliant, you know, in that sense of just trying to be with a team that was so motivated and we were pioneers really you know nobody had really taken student accommodation by the scruff of the neck and kind of gone global with it and did it end to end we weren't just investors we were developers we were operators it was just a fascinating insight you know to how to grow and scale a business at such speed and i think you know for anyone who i wouldn't recommend doing an mba i'd recommend just doing that if you can you know because we learned so much we made loads of mistakes but we learned from those mistakes and you know just in terms of how to build a team and how to execute a strategy it was it was absolutely sort of second to none and you know a very a very fulfilling chapter in my in my career and i ended up then going into the world of advisory and i joined colliers about a year ago i wanted to sort of take a lot of those learnings and help clients build their strategies in the, in the space. You know, I've done it with student accommodation, but it really has a lot of learnings across 
whether it's built to rent, co-living, you know, senior housing, whatever it is, building platforms is difficult. And there's lots of moving parts. I, I have this kind of thirst for knowledge and getting involved with our clients at an early stage to help them do that. So and using my experience, you know, from the student accommodation sector to, to apply that to different sectors. And yeah, I think it's a, hopefully it's working. You know, we, we've got some great business and, you know, we've got some great clients and been involved in some some really fascinating deals. So it's a strange one because not a lot of people go from being a principal or, a, you know, a client to being an advisor. But, you know, I'm here to buck the trend. So now, Colliers, Paddy, what's the kind of extent and scope of the advisory services that you offer? Is it European in focus? Is it global? Is it just UK? Yeah, so predominantly it's UK and Ireland, but, you know, more and more it's becoming more global. I'm very fortunate to have had quite a lot of experience dealing with uh, European markets, but also working in markets across Asia and the US as well. And I think for us to be effective... We need to understand what's going on in those different markets as well and how, you know, how people are building platforms and funding platforms in, in those markets and what, what kind of platforms are they building. So, you know, I have a very global kind of eye to then see how we can apply that locally. Which, of course, tallies with the incredible European experience you've had. What's the size and composition of the team you've got working for you? So we've got a team of just shy of about 20 of us across all of the different sectors, which is, you know, nice, nice number. You know, we, we've got a, you know, different focus in the team. We've got some really good brokers. We've got some great guys who do data and analysis. You know, we've got some great executors within the team as well, who just get into the, into the detail of deals. Because I think, you know, in this sector, there's so many moving parts with the deals. You know, you're buying operating businesses or live developments a lot of the time. And so you need people who are in the detail and that's the financial detail detail but the sort of academic detail as well and so we've got a really kind of diverse team in, in that of different sort of skill sets which I think it, you know, I think for me is one of our competitive advantages in that in that space. Undoubtedly. Paddy we're going to change topics slightly now. Uh, I'm going to ask you a random question. How do your friends family describe you when you're away from your job? What do you like outside of work? Well, I mean, it's interesting. I did this exercise with a business coach actually a few months ago. I was, I was like, how would you describe me? And it turned out he said, put all the roles down that you do. And I said, well, I'm a colleague, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, I'm a son. And he said, well, which one's the most important? And I said, well, actually being a dad, you know, that to me is probably the most important. And he said, well, think, think about how, how would people describe you? And I was like, um, energetic, contrarian at times, honest and all this. And he said, well, which one's the one that describes you? I said, honest, probably. So I'm an honest dad. And I'm very, I'm very proud of that. As indeed you should be. I mean, we work to live, right? We don't live to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, I've I've been brought up in a way to kind of work hard, play hard. You know, the guys in the team will joke if they're listening to this, but, you know, I tell tell my team a lot of time to slow down, to speed up. Sometimes you just got to take stock and then go hard at something. But, you know, you've got to take those moments to enjoy it as well. I think if people can't enjoy their place of work or whatever it is, then they're, you know, they're they're not going to be that committed to it. So, you know, I do, I do try and make sure we bring some enjoyment into, into what we do. And I like to think, you know, we have a bit of fun. And so, you know, outside of work, you know, make sure that, you know, I, I, I have a laugh. I think, it's, you know, laugh, laughter is the best medicine. I, I try not to take myself too seriously. You know, probably should take myself a bit more seriously at times. What are your interests outside of work, Paddy? Do you have any passions, hobbies? Family is really important to me. I've got two beautiful boys who are three and a half and eight months, Jensen and Ayrton. So that gives you a, that gives you a good idea of what my, uh, what my interests are. I think the question I get a lot is, you know, how did my wife get my wife to agree to that, to, to letting me name my uh, name my sons after uh, Formula One world champions? But their names are very fitting for for both the boys. They're incredibly, you know, they keep me 
keep me pretty busy and it's a very uh, fulfilling job you know that I have and that's that's probably my main job part-time I work for Colliers full-time I'm a I'm a dad to two boys. Paddy you've had really quite a broad career so far I mean who are the people who you've met who've influenced and shaped you professionally as you've kind of gone from one career stage to the next? Um, I've been really fortunate to and I mentioned a couple of a uh, couple of the, the gentlemen that I've worked with before, you know, Richard Croft and, and and Nick Porter. And I think there's a third one in there as well. I, I spent a bit of time working with a chap called Josh Short as well, who bought the Halberton business or the GPT Halberton business. And he set up a business called Internos. And, you know, really between the sort of three of them, over as my career has progressed, I've taken a lot from them. And I would, I think Nick Porter was an incredible, I think, incredible leader and pioneer in, in the space. And really has kind of pioneered the you know the student accommodation sector and just being a part of the team there and watching him build a business you know I think for me was really impressive and yeah there were lots of things that yeah I think he did it did it with personality and you know I think that was that's really important you know people bought into the personality as much as they bought into the businesses what I learned from that experience was that actually you've got to be human in what you do you know people buy into you as much as they buy into your business so, you know, I think that's really important. And yeah, the same with Joss and, and Richard as well. They're, they're very compelling, you know, individuals. And I've kind of learned from them that your personality has got to be multifaceted. You know, you've got to be able to go into different rooms and be different people at times, but you've got to do it with authenticity. So I've always learned to kind of try and be my authentic self where I can, where I, you know, where, where, whenever I can, which hopefully is, is most of the time. I think, you know, the, the other thing that I've, I've taken from them is you've got to understand the detail. You can't just be high level about stuff. You don't build and run a business without understanding the, de- the detail of it. So, you know, they've been they've been really good sort of mentors in that stage, you know, and I'm very lucky. I saw Joss the other week, actually, and we still chat about various things. And I'm very grateful that, you know, I have the time to spend with me and, you know, talking about different sort of ideas and very progressive people as well. And I think the one thing about all of them, actually, what I learned was how to get deals done. <laughs> you know, I think we live in a world now, and I'm sure some people will agree with this, is kind of analysis paralysis. It, it, you can analyze something to death without ever getting to a point where you're actually going to do a deal. Guys like guys who run businesses like they do, they, they have to do deals, but you have to do it in a smart, intelligent way. But there comes a point when you just have to push the button and get on with it and say, right, yeah, this is what we know. This is what we know we don't know. And then everything else we're just going to have to deal with as we go. And so I, I learned how to take, you know, calculated risk working with them, you know, with those three three guys, essentially. So they've been very influ- influential, whether they know it or not. <laughs> um, you know, they, they've certainly been very influential on me. Paddy, let's reflect briefly on the last few years um, and specifically the pandemic. How has that or the upset of the last few years impacted your business and your clients? How have you had to adapt? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, COVID was a a point for everyone to kind of really reflect on, you know, what they're doing, why they're doing it. And I think, you know, the practical elements have been, and I suppose the practical impacts of COVID have been such that developments slowed, supply chains have got all over the place at the moment. We're still seeing a big sort of lag from COVID where you know, all the container ships are in the wrong place, you know, so yeah, we can't get materials on board. Price inflation's come in as well. So, you know, building something and look, our sector in whether it's built to rent or student is still relatively underbuilt. So a lot of the stuff we're doing is, is development. So that's been hit really hard, you know, Brexit and COVID together have meant that you know actually we've lost a lot of the, the labor force as well and there's big labor issues so yeah that that's certainly something we're having to deal with i think taking that aside and and, and just looking at the kind of sectors more holistically and why people live in student accommodation why they live in built to rent and all this what's really interesting is that covid really accelerated trends that we're all we were already seeing so people are wanting more from where they live 
you know, they're valuing experience over ownership. They value community. They value having a diverse, you know, a diverse community as well and different places that they can go within their own home. The people use their homes for not just sort of sleeping, eating and showering. You know, they are they are social spaces. They are working spaces. They're spaces where people create and have fun and play there are places there are also spaces where people relax you know uh, and reflect and, and do all those kind of things so a home is so much more and I think what we've realized is that you know we we just don't have enough good homes whatever those homes are whether they are flats houses student accommodation care homes whatever a lot of the stock we have is not necessarily fit for purpose but also they're very defensive asset classes at the end of the day it's very difficult to disrupt a bed You can't really digitize a bed. You know, as humans, we need to lie horizontally for a certain period with any 24-hour period, right? Whether you're rich or poor, tall or short, whatever, we all need to, to, to lie down and rest in somewhere that's warm and dry and safe. And there is a big market for that. And I think, you know, going into COVID, everyone was a bit worried that people wouldn't pay rent and we'd see all these, I guess, defaults that we saw or people not paying rent across, you know, whether it was shopping centers or offices. And people were staggered when the default rates in residential were relatively low. And it makes sense, right? Because it's it's a it's a utility. A, you know, a residential accommodation is a utility. It's not discretionary. You need a house. These are people's homes. And you don't just stop paying your rent because there's a pandemic or there's a threat of a recession or whatever. You know, you don't jeopardize the roof over your own head and also your family's head. And I think that's been a real learning for, for people in the space is that, you know, what we're providing here is utility across the sort of most part of it, especially in the residential space, not kind of discretionary. And it's very hard to disrupt through digitization. The journey of ownership or renting can be enhanced by digitization, but the delivery of the actual product and how people enjoy it is still very human. Whereas, you know, retail, retail's changed. The way we use offices has changed. The way that we do warehousing and logistics has changed, but kind of, yeah, you know, and the residential world is also changing, but what you kind of, the fundamentals of what you use it for, you know, are very, very, very difficult to disrupt. So just following on from everything you said, how do you as Colliers add value within such a robust and kind of perennial industry? I think I think what we try and do is to sometimes challenge the notions of our clients and and and, and help them build depth and breadth in their in their business plans. One of the great things about the sector, whether it's student accommodation or build to rent or senior living or co-living, is that there is kind of no right answer. There's some wrong answers, but there's no real right answer in that if you if you can identify a customer group in a certain city or a, or country or location that is undersupplied for a particular type of bed product, and you can go and build it, then you know that 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 facility that residence should work quite well. Now the the question is is how big are those underserved customer groups, you know, some of them are very niche, you know, and we see that sometimes in the kind of co-living space with people looking just to serve like your high-end digital nomads, for example, and, you know, people looking to stay in a place for two months and they want this kind of really uh, premium connected experience, you know, but if you then go to the other side of things, looking at just mainstream rental housing, there's a huge undersupply of good quality mainstream rental housing globally. You know, especially even across the you know the westernized world. So it's all about working with our clients to understand who is their customer group that they're going after and what do they think they should, they need to be building for that and how scalable is it and putting putting the plot the, the right plans in place to kind of do that. So there's not really one answer, which I think is why I kind of like it. Just briefly explain to us the different types of customer segments that you serve. I mean, what's the profile of a typical customer for you? So uh, I suppose our our customers are 
three prongs, investors, developers, operators. And I suppose we do most of our work with investors and developers. So from the investment side, we are helping investors to mainly get into the space rather than exit the space, although probably in five or six years, as we see more churn, yeah, we'll be helping on exit strategies as well. So is that acquisitions specifically then? Specifically acquisitions, yeah. I think there's a, there's a net inflow at the moment of, of capital into the bed space. You know, there's probably not too much going out. Um, so, you know, we, we will, on the build to rent side especially, we're helping mainly on, we are focused on acquisitions for our clients. And the student side, we're a bit more balanced on sales and, and buy side work. But really, that's working for investors who are looking to build their strategies or to realize a strategy in the space. So, yeah, it's helping them really kind of get through the gateposts of an, of a, of an investment. Um, so to you know, understand right, what, is, what they're looking at, put everything in the context. Are they buying the right building? Is it designed correctly? Is it cost the right amount? Is it in the right place? Yeah, what's the operational strategy? Who's going to operate it for them? you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then, you know, on the sales side for, you know, probably more in the, in the student space, it's often investors who've been in the space for five or six years, they're getting to the end of their fund life and we're looking to kind of optimize the value of that building and sell that on and bring, on, bring somebody else in. I guess on the developer side, it's trying to um, work with developers to optimize their schemes so that they can get the right kind of funding to come in. So, you know, whether they want to get somebody to actually fund the construction of their development or whether they want to fund it themselves and then sell it. What we, what we work with them to do is to build the, the right buildings that the investors will pay the best money for. So, Paddy, what are the major trends that you see impacting the living sector? I'm talking about, you know, at a macro level, what are the things that are having the biggest ripple effects? One of the trends that we've seen is two things across globally, really, and across many developed nations is a lack of good housing stock and the barriers to entry to, to home ownership. There are two big things that, are, you know, if you read the papers in the UK, we think it is a UK problem. I think actually that is a it's more of a global problem. And, actually, you know, there are a lot of there are big generations of people now that don't want to own they want to be able to rent, but there isn't a good kind of stock that fits what they want out there to, to rent. So whether that's young professionals or whether that's families or whether that's more senior generations, they, they are more mobile now, more mobile than we've ever been. Especially the kind of older generations are healthier, living longer, you know, and the one thing that everyone is doing is they, they valuing experience. And it's these kind of intangible things. It's not the tangible generations in the past often kind of linked happiness and success to material goods if you had three cars you should be happy if you had two houses you should be happy but i think now a lot more people are going towards having a more asset like existence you know we've seen that the decline of car ownership you know people are sort of seeing that with home ownership now as well we've seen obviously the growth of platforms like airbnb and things like that where people don't need to own a second home you know they can just go and rent somebody else's in different parts of the world so from what you're saying it sounds like there should be a seemingly endless supply of capital into these living asset classes because there's such a you know a, a dearth of supply and such such strong unsatisfied demand i think it's a it's probably very dangerous to say endless capital is finite but what we've what we've certainly seen is an increasing allocation of capital to the the wider residential sectors across the whole kind of risk spectrum so probably 10 years ago it was probably more opportunistic higher risk money you know now it's much more lower cost longer dated money that's looking to to invest into residential for the long term but the fact is it still needs to be created as well so it needs to be more nimble 
So we, you know, we are we are seeing you know a lot more people allocating you know capital to to the sector because I suppose because I touched on it before, it's it's a highly defensive sector. It's really difficult to disrupt. It's actually quite boring in, in a sense. It's counter cyclical in that sense. You know, it's not really correlated to kind of wider macro movements. So it fits really well as part of a, a sort of diversified portfolio. And so I think that's why we've seen you know, a lot of the kind of actuaries at the big pension funds, insurance funds who are looking at allocating capital are now wanting to kind of build their, their weighting to these sectors because it offsets the kind of more positively correlated investments they might have within their portfolios. Let's talk for a second about technology. Do you advise your clients on the tech stacks that they should be investing in to run their, 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 their buildings and their portfolios? Or is that someone else's job, frankly? No, absolutely. We do. We do very much get involved in that. I think it comes as a bit of a surprise to some of our clients because they don't expect us to be knowledgeable about these things and be able to kind of add that value. I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, brands like Colliers and, and our and our competitors, people just see us as kind of estate agents, I guess, and we just do the broker, brokerage. But really, you know, we're trying to be... We're really kind of consultants to, to the business and, you know, brokerage is a big part of what we do, but to do brokerage effectively, we need to be able to understand how the assets actually operate and how they function. And that partly is understanding what are the, the processes and systems within these assets and within the businesses that make them operate the way they do. And so being knowledgeable about go-to-market strategies, development and technology platforms is, is part and parcel of that really. So, you know, when we're doing our diligence on assets, we will look at what platforms are being used um, within them. Are they the most effective platforms? You know, I've recently done a project really breaking down the marketing budgets for, for, for a portfolio of assets for a client where we were looking at spend across different marketing funnels, trying to understand where we got most, I guess, what was the most efficient you know, and where we got the most value value from. So, and it was interesting because we were looking at things like Google SEO and how much money we were spending on Google AdWords and actually how much, how many leads do we get from that and trying to understand cost of acquisition per customer, which is a, a kind of language that is used quite a lot in tech and, and, and retail and others, but very, we don't use that kind of language in, in real estate and we should, we should be. Those kind of metrics are super important. I can't tell you how encouraging that is to hear because it maps almost perfectly with with my view of the world and indeed our vision at Lavender. I'm absolutely fascinated by this, so let's stick with technology. Which parts of the real estate value chain are your clients seeking advice on? And I guess, you know, by extension of that, if you kind of were investing money into the tech space, into the prop techs, where would you be putting your money right now because you see the strongest demand from the client side? It's, a, it's at different levels, actually, in the tech, which is, which is why I kind of, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. You know, there's the whole helping the investment and the construction piece, you know, from a kind of more macro kind of level. So, you know, technology that helps us build better buildings, I think, you know, is, is, is really interesting um, to make sure, you know, whether it's through modern methods of construction or just the way the kind of infrastructure, the connectivity that we're putting into buildings and how those buildings are going to be connected and what we're learning through building management systems and things like that, I think is super interesting. So you're talking about IoT and smart building technology? Exactly. And having kind of smart buildings that tell us about their usage. So, you know, what parts of buildings are, are being used, over, underused and overused and how? Yeah, exactly. And using that data responsibly to, to inform our decisions. You've then got the everyday running of them. You know, how do we how do we manage them? How do we let them? How do we, you know, how do we optimize them? Which is very much the space that I think you and I have been in, you know, for for for, for a while. And you know, we're quite well versed in, you know, understanding right how do how do people actually live in these buildings? How do they and how does that 
what does that mean for the stakeholders? So that's the whole customer resident experience piece. Exactly, exactly. And how do you sell services in? How does it integrate? How do you integrate? You know, one of the things that we looked at in the early days of Acasa was, you know, how do we integrate with other service providers that provide stuff to, to you know, in real estate? You know, whether that was TV license or the council or Sky or Tesco or whoever it was, you know, how do we create that kind of that connected world um, through something which is essentially um, connected to your real estate and understands your behaviors as a, you know, as a, as a customer. We're only now starting to see more geospatial tools that are helping to kind of understand that. And I think that's fascinating. The other bit I, I just touched on, which is, is, you know, I've had conversations on re- recently, is actually around yeah, how are we actually investing in this space and tokenization of real estate, you know, look, looking at and how NFTs are being used in the space as well. Um, you know, could we rip up the land registry and put a, you know, create suddenly everyone has an NFT and you and you own, you know, your we own property through the blockchain, right? Why why is it we couldn't do that? So you've covered quite a broad area there in terms of places where you might consider, you know, compelling areas to invest. If you were to pick one, what would it be? I think the low hanging fruit really is around customer behaviors and data and insight. You know, how do we really trying to make sure that those feedback loops are, are totally integrated. You know, I think when we're building these buildings and, and, and looking to operate them, they, um, we put together the business plans and, you know, and actually they often get ripped up the minute you open the doors because you never quite know who's going to walk through the doors. So I think really understanding customers better, you know, the retail industry do it really well. You know, how shopping centre owners have done it fantastically over the years of trying to yeah, just understanding behaviors within their buildings and how customers react to certain things and what that means. And how do you optimize that? You know, how do you, opt- where, where are the peaks? Where are the troughs? And, you know, then building that into your strategy. And I think that for me is kind of the low hanging fruit for us at the moment. And then just building that into, into our kind of management strategies. Well, that's encouraging to hear. And entrepreneurs, I hope you're taking notes. Paddy, we're drawing to a close now. You've been very generous with your time. I'm going to pose you two final questions before we wind up the episode. The first one, Paddy, is what's the best piece of professional advice you've been given and which you would pass on to others? Always be honest. <laughs> Always be honest. And it might not get you the optimal outcome, but it certainly builds depth and trust in relationships. The real estate industry, any industry, look, is small. The world's small. I think if you, you know, trust is so important in what we do. You might not be the smartest guy in the room. You might not have all the answers, but if people trust you because they know you're being honest, I think that goes a long way. And last but not least, who's somebody who you admire professionally and whose story you'd like to hear told on this podcast? I would say probably one or two of the guys I mentioned before, actually, because both of them have not necessarily followed the linear route of their careers. But for me, you know, are very just very humble people who actually, you know, I think are great role models for, for anyone in, in, in business, let alone you know, real estate. So I think, you know, they've got fantastic sort of stories about, you know, going into, um, uncharted territory great recommendations paddy and we'll endeavor to get them on the show that brings us to the end of the episode paddy allen head of operational capital markets at colliers thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing with us your real estate 2020 vision thanks so much for having me Real Estate 2020 Vision is brought to you by Lavanda, the world's leading flexible rental software. For more information, visit getlavanda.com.